So what we experienced yesterday and this morning on the boat is pretty typical of a fishing day for you growing up in Minnesota and you've always had lakes this close at your disposal. I'm talking like literally less than 10 minutes from your front door and where you picked us up where we're staying, we're in your boat and with a chance to catch walleye, crappie, bass, small and large mouth and the mighty, the mighty muscalunge. The muscalunge. Muscalunge. That's right. Uh, I would tell you for Minnesota, it is typical. Um, I don't know what percentage of Minnesotans own boats, but it's high. It's like 80% or something bizarre. Like everybody except for Laura Shara apparently owns a boat. Um, so it's a big part of the culture. I mean, our, our summers aren't super long, but, you know, and so we hit it really hard. And uh, I was pretty happy to have you in this part of the state because it is very typical. I, I was trying to tell you, we had a, a typical Minnesota kind of night out. We had dinner on the water. Um, we didn't do any, like, uh, we all, we fished, so we were on the water in a fishing boat, but we also do a lot of just casual boating and like, we'll put, we'll, you know, either you have a boat on the water or we, t- we have a boat, we trailer, dump it in, you'll go across the lake. It's a five mile boat ride to Excelsior, Minnesota. You park, there's like, uh, parking meters on the dock. So you actually pull your boat in and you plug the meter you walk up into the city, there's brew pubs, restaurants, there's an ice cream place there called Licks. I mean, it's like, it, it's something my kids will talk about 30 years from now and my kids will do it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, a big part of the local culture. So that's just, you say that's a typical night that we experienced with the dinner, being on the water, the fresh fish. I mean, we, we I had some awesome fish up here. Um, as far as the summertime goes, that's pretty much, it's hard to leave this area then. I mean, I wouldn't want to leave if I was able to experience that lifestyle day in and day out. And it's pretty affordable. I mean, as far as the amount of of availability of having a place on the water, having a dock, having a slip, having a boat, um, it's, it'd be tough to leave here during the summer. I wouldn't want to. Right. You know, the, the, the lake real estate is pretty expensive, you know, even on like a national scale. But the cost of living in Minnesota is very reasonable and the cost of real estate and housing and you're, there's 10,000 lakes. So you're always close to water. So, you know, people grow up, they have cabins up north, you spend uh, the weekend at the lake, you go out on the water. It's just a, a big part of the, the local culture. And so you go to work just using your network and we, we met some, you know, fine fishermen as far as talent goes, guys that have been on the FLW tournament, local tournament scenes, um, bass masters. They've won competitions. Some of them are leading in the points right now. You, you work with these guys and it was almost like you guys were, have done that before. So is that a pretty common thing? If you have a a guest coming in that you can call on some of these cats and they show, I mean, we had a convoy of boats both days. Yeah. I I have a, I have a network of friends and, you know, and I'm, I'm probably in their network. If they had something going on and needed an extra boat and I could do it, I, I would do the same thing. But we got pretty lucky yesterday. Uh, I had my friend uh, Hunter, who I, I just work with at uh, Lifetime Fitness, has a buddy, Stevie. They, uh, they volunteered when they heard you were coming to town. They just wanted to be part of it because uh, uh, we talk a lot about um, Follow Life, talk about Outdoor Channel and all of our shows. Uh, Hunter's a huge fan. So that they show up with a nice Ranger boat and offer to take a few people. But uh, my buddy, Matt Peters, uh, I've known Matt for almost 10 years now. Um, he's a unique guy. You know, he used to fish in the FLW, uh, you know, tried to compete on a national scale and has the skills to compete on a national scale. But I think as you told us a little bit yesterday, it's a tough road to hoe traveling, uh, trying to make a living uh, chasing bass. So he works for a rep firm here in Minneapolis. Minneapolis also has a lot of industry 
related to hunt, shoot, and fish. So he's in the business as well, but he's an independent contractor. So he spends a lot of time fishing. He used to be a, a professional guide, fishwithmat.com. Now he doesn't take too many people guiding. He became um, the guide to a lot of the Minnesota Vikings and the uh, uh, Minnesota Wild and Minnesota Twins. When they want to go fishing, he was kind of the go-to guide because he's really knows the water we fished yesterday at Lake Minnetonka, and he knows um, Waconia is another. He knows a lot of bodies of water, but those are like his uh, home bodies of water. And, and yeah, he didn't disappoint our guests yesterday. They caught a bunch of fish, and I, and I knew they would. It was just we were lucky that he was even available. Yeah, and it was you could tell when, you know, you picture those bass tournaments when the boats take off in the morning and it's like the Indy 500 going across water. Um, and yeah, I saw that in him. He just had that tournament mentality of, of he knew where he wanted to go. He knew where he wanted to put his, you know, cast his first bait in. And obviously he, he kind of had a, a good grip on the location to where you were even like, Oh, he must have a spot where I don't know right. about. And, and sure enough, they come back with a, not that we didn't do good, but they right. were, they were hammering the bass and, and you could tell he, and Brian even said, so he, Kelvington was like, this dude knows how to fish. Well, before, before the, uh, the morning started, he had texted me. He said, when I said where we were meeting, you know, the lake is 14,000 acres. And he's like, you want me to meet up there? He said, that's, you know, that's the opposite side of the lake where I'm putting in and the opposite side of the lake where all the fish are. So yeah, so he dumped in, he drove his boat like literally nine miles, picked up his two guests and then drove them back about eight miles to where they started fishing for the day. And when that, the style of fishing we were doing, we, you had had me excited because we were going to chase musky and then you're like, you know, the weather's not right. You're like, it's hot. It's really calm. And, yeah. and so I'm, I'm starting to, you know, put it together to where, you know, you want overcast, you want a little bit of ch chill in the air. You want a little bit of chop on the water gets right. those, those muskies active. It's just, it's just like any other hunting, you know, duck hunting, whatever you, 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 you ultimately need, you do whatever you can to put yourself in the best position for success. Well, you're here today, so we were going to fish. So we did, you know, we couldn't pick like a full moon. The the muskies respond and fish respond to the moon phase. So we're like, it's a new moon like tomorrow. So we're like at the absolute worst time in terms of uh, the moon phase. And uh, the weather was beautiful. It was hot. The water, the temps have grown, grown, uh, gone up into almost to 80 degrees which they like cooler water and there's there, you know, we also generally don't chase the muskies when the water gets too warm because it stresses them out. And so, yeah, the timing was bad, but I'll let you uh, explain what happened at least because um, we did have by muskie standards, a little bit of luck, not a lot of luck, just a little. Yeah. And you know, you talk about, it's, you, they say it's the fish of 10,000 casts. And I was talking to you about that on the boat. Like, how you know true is that and you obviously you, a guy might get lucky and catch one on his third cash you just never know right. but as a as far as an experience yesterday we saw two roll two muskies roll in front of us yeah. and we also had a 50 incher that you estimated at least 50 inches follow us all the way to the boat and it was cool to see what what how um they're just zoned in on that bait and they it's like you could you were doing figure eights in the water with the tip in the water once the muskie got to the boat right he's not attacking it he's not being that aggressive he's not that hungry he's not that he's curious he was just seeing hey what is it but you know i'll just sit back here because my appetite's not there but we got right. to see a world-class muskie that you see these guys holding or these girls right. and guys holding these pictures where they got one hand towards the tail, one hand towards the head, and then the body's like curved in and like sunken down, and it, they're just big fish. They're just big, right. heavy, 
almost like awkward fish to hold. It looks like to me. Are they awkward at all? Because it looks like they're just like a big wet well, blanket you know, on you. We treat them with a lot of respect. You don't want to hurt them. We, you know, you they're old fish, and we want to keep catching them. So um, they have gills, and you you hold them under the gills. You don't want to touch their gills, and you just you, so you have to be careful. And by the way, you, we only have them out of the water. We try to have them out of the water for less than a minute. 45 seconds, you, you put them in a, a, a boat side live well, we call it just like a 48 inch net. You uh, take the hook out, get the camera ready and everything. You revive them a little bit in the net. You grab them, you pull them up, you take a picture, you go over, you measure it and you get it back in the water. You revive them a little bit and you release them. So we don't like play them. I, when I told you, if we had one on, it was going to, we kind of, we use heavy tackle. We muscle them to the boat. We get them into the net relatively fresh get a picture taken, get a measurement, get them back in the water so that we can keep catching them. I'll tell you why I was excited about that fish yesterday. Um, because my read on it when it was following was that it was, it was more than just curious. He, a curious one might not be as close to it, might be behind it a little bit below it. And when it comes in, it just kind of peels off that fish. When it came to the boat, made a move at the lure um, and it didn't, it wasn't agitated by us or by the boat. It just, I think what happened is our guest, he stopped the lure for a second and, and then it wasn't natural for the muskie. And he, it, it almost looked as though it was confused. So that's why I dropped in and started doing figure eights and tried to get it. Cause I thought it went underneath our boat and, and it, my read was that that fish would eat. So I wasn't just curious. It was, it was, going to eat something and so we stayed there for like another half an hour we never raised it again but that the passion of musky fishing I mean, we could have so we didn't catch as many fish as everybody yesterday because we spent the first two hours for that one encounter uh, we were going for quality not quantity yesterday but you you that that is why people are passionate about musky fishing because now i mean I went to bed thinking about that so fish. did i now you, i want to go leave back. town i am going back and i'm gonna i will park on that spot for two hours and I will throw, I will drift over it and I will throw like 10 different things pro until I catch that fish. And I'm going to send you a picture and we're going to post it on your website. Well, I, I would, would rather go because now I feel the same as like, I'm sleeping last night thinking, man, that's, it's a big deal to have one. It just follow you to the boat. Yeah. And, um, I would like to catch one. I would, uh, I'm, you know, after talking with Laura and, and being around you, it's almost like I've had some success sturgeon fishing up in the Pacific Northwest out yeah. of like, uh, out of like Umatilla, Oregon, and then the Columbia Basin of Washington. And it's kind of the same thing, is it? It's like a dinosaur fish. I don't know. I don't know a lot yeah. about muskie. I know that, I know that sturgeon can get up 12, 13 feet long. Um, they're illegal to catch in some spots now up right. around the Umatilla Dam. But we had some success on some 9, 10, 11, 12 footers. Sure. And I'm talking two-hour fights to get them right. to the boat. Is it kind of the same mentality of like a dinosaur, old fish? You're not going to eat it. You don't want it out of the water a long time. You guys have a lot of sports fish. You have probably the number one sports fish in the country to eat, in my opinion, in the walleye up right. here. So really, musky fishing is just for that trophy picture. And the, and the, and and the chase, and, and, the chase. Yeah, and the quest for it. Yeah. And, and by the way, Matt Peters, who we fished with yesterday, he's a fantastic mus musky fisherman as well. I think he was talking about the stocking class of the fish that we're chasing. Like they were stocked in that lake in like 87 and 89. And, and they just took hold and they've grown nicely into that. So, yeah. So th these are fish that are, have been around. Are they illegal to keep? Can you uh, keep? know you can keep them, but it, they changed the minimum length to 54 inches. And I just don't know why you, anyone would ever keep a 54-incher. So I think the fish that die in that lake either die from 
from being caught and having issues with that, or they get taken by somebody fishing from shore who probably doesn't know, you know, they probably think it's a Northern or something. They catch it and they would keep it. So For, can you eat a muskie? You can eat anything. Well, yeah, right. But you is can it eat worth... a coyote if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not Steven Ranella. So <laughs> are, are we going to eat a muskie if we catch one? Um, I've never eaten a muskie. Um, I, and I wouldn't want to eat a fish that's 40 years old in a, you know, in a lake like that, because I can't imagine the contaminants in the meat. So and what about their breeding? Are they successful breeding every year to where new fish are being, are they, are they a breeding fish to where they're being, the, the population continues to grow? They are. I don't know specific. I, I, I can't remember. I, I think they, they must breed naturally in the rivers and I know they spawn. I just don't know if they, they don't, they can't sustain or so. I don't know. Cause they, they, they do have stocking programs, but I'm not a biologist, but, um, um, more normally these fish are stocked and there's different strains of muskies that they stock. And so this is a leech lake strain muskie we're chasing, I think. And they're, they're good size. They're good size, but they get bigger up North because up North they have different forage. They have like tulipy, which is all like a white fish that's oily and fatty. So the muskies will gorge on the tulipy and the, and a 50 inch muskie on Lake Minnetonka might be 25 pounds, maybe 30 pounds. That same fish on Malax, an hour and a half North of here would be 45 pounds just, wow. just based on. And so we, I'll, I can show you, but some of the pictures, I think you had a picture of Laura the other day and she had a, a, a Malax muskie or a different, it wasn't from Minnetonka, but you can just see there. They're a lot fatter just based on what they eat. And, and so then prime musky season is in the fall when they start getting ready for the winter and they start piling on the weight and uh, they get real aggressive and they eat big baits. You saw uh, one of the guys had a bait that was like 36 inches long. It was like crazy. They've, they've, and they'll eat, I mean, it was, it was really like, I don't know. It was, it was at least two feet. feet. I think yeah, it was a they, two foot. And two. it had a lot of treble hooks on Like what? Uh, they'll really chase that. Yeah. He says that, I remember him saying yesterday that he has caught 11, 10 or 11 muskies this year, and they were all on baits that size. Yeah. So that tells me that we need to get a bigger bait. Well, and he made those baits. Got to get a bigger bait. And well, did you know the pattern? I'm trying to transition us into something other than fishing. Yeah. Because um, the pattern of the lure, you were throwing a top raider, which is by a Wisconsin guy named Joe Booker, and the pattern was baby loon. So that bait you were throwing, it was top water and so it was meant it was meant to mimic a baby loon. They eat ducks. There's a lot of stories. Uh, my buddy Travis saw, he was pulling into a spot where he knew there was a muskie and three wood ducks landed right where he wanted to cast. He was with a client, he was guiding them. And he said, hold on a second. They stopped and they held back. All of a sudden, boom, there was an explosion and there were two wood ducks. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. So I don't like muskies anymore. Well, no, muskies in Northern, there's a, there was a, uh, internet photo floating around about, um, a guy caught a giant Northern pike. And I think he had a whole family of wood ducks in his, in his belly. Just came up and ate you can, if you Google it, you'll find it. If you, um, it's actually pretty interesting, but yeah, they, they eat ducks. So why are we in Minnesota? You, you think with my history of, of being with the company that you, that you, um, make your livelihood with it was always in wisconsin with the sportsman's channel around milwaukee mm -hmm. and then you had the outdoor channel and you had mr Cronky come in and he bought the outdoor channel right and then the outdoor channel ended up buying the sportsman's channel and then you guys have transitioned operations mainly headquartered out of denver now which is where mr Cronky had a lot of like altitude sports and the pepsi center and and, and the denver nuggets and a lot of his sure. businesses that he runs 
how, how did how does Minnesota play that? Was this one of the original locations of OC? No. How, how did you come into the mix here? And, and give me a little bit of background of why we're actually in Minnesota. Yeah, so I was an independent producer for the better part of a decade. I did a show for Outdoor Channel called Wardens, which is still on. And uh, I've just always been based in Minnesota. I just grew up here and went to college here and uh, have a family here. And um, when um, and I did some work with Outdoor Channel and ad sales, I did some work with Polaris here locally, um, working on television sponsorship. So um, when Outdoor Channel acquired uh, the Sportsman's Channel, I was working um, with our ad sales group at Outdoor Channel as a contractor and had this background in production and uh, you know, as a producer, but also in ad sales and uh, just had an interesting, unique background. Uh, so the network hired me to run programming for Sportsman Channel, which was based in uh, Milwaukee area. And um, I didn't really want to move to Milwaukee for no, no reason other than I'm living here. And I had to be in Milwaukee and I had to be in Denver. And plus I travel a lot. We go to trade shows, I go to client sites, we, you know, I'm on the road, not 50% of the time, but maybe close to 50% of the time. So uh, they just said, just, I'll, I'll stay here. I have an, have an office in Minneapolis, which I recently closed and just have been working out of my home because I generally fly to where I need to be. So it just hasn't made sense to, uh, you know, uproot the family and move out to Colorado when, and, and then have them be in Colorado when I'm on the road, uh, you know, with producers or at shows or doing, doing everything. Just, um, so I've just been able to stay here and, and, and have been pretty productive in doing that. You know, my commute right now is about, you know, 12 feet from my bedroom to my office. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty that efficient. Doesn't that get way. better. And then you got a, and then you got a hundred yards to the boat. In the muskies. So, so you, you're, you're starting with the ad sales team. You're working with them in Milwaukee, but what's your current position? What you've, you've worked, you haven't, I wouldn't say worked your way up. You've, you've elevated in a hurry with the organization. Is that fair to say? Or, I mean, did you come in as one of the, as part of the leadership group? I came in vice president of programming for Sportsman's Channel. And I had, uh, my boss actually was executive vice president of programming for the networks. And, you know, and he, after about five months or so, he moved on. And then I ended up moving in and taking, uh, taking over for Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network. And then we also brought somebody else in, a woman, Katie Gladstone, to do scheduling and planning. So we essentially, we divided the position up between a couple of us. And uh, so I run um, programming for the networks, uh, everything related to independent producers um, on all three networks. And with three networks, you, again, there were the Outdoor Channel, the Sportsman Channel, the World Fishing Network. Is WFN a Canadian-based company? Uh, it's a, we have a Canadian partner, but it's in the U.S. and in Canada. In the U.S. and Canada. Right. So you have three networks of independent producers that, is it fair to say, pay as you play? Is that kind of how the... the part, part of the business is, is that, yeah, a significant portion of it. A significant portion of your revenue stream is pay as you play. How many, how many, you know, you have a lot of people that are interested in getting into outdoor television. They're interested in content. They're interested in, in telling that story of the hunt, whatever way that they see fit in their own style. There's different styles um, as far as producers go. It's got to be a tedious task, though, to I mean, I'm pretty anal and I'm pretty hard to deal with. And I can't imagine you having more of me 
of beating down your door all the time. But is that, uh, is that kind of a regular occurrence to where you got a Chad Belding calling you, or you got a Michael Waddell calling you, or you got a Jim Shockey calling you saying, Hey, you know, what's going on with this? Or, Hey, wh- wh- where are we with it? I mean, it's yeah, gotta, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta be busy a lot. Yeah, It's a big part of my job and, and it's not so much the business busyness of it. The, the problem is, um, you know, when you call or when a producer calls, I, I want to take that call and I want to listen and I want to do it. It's not always for problems, by the way. <laughs> we have a lot of good things going on, too, but um, it, it's pretty disruptive. You know, it's hard. Like, I can't go and have a list of 10 things I'm going to get done in a day uh, because generally, you know, by nine o'clock in the morning, you know, something has come up where I'm going to be working on something. I'm going to take a producer call and I'm going to, uh, but but I'm not, I'm, I'm not on an island. I have a, a, a pretty strong team around me as well. I've got uh, Jake Thole and Monty Daniels working out of Wisconsin. They've been with the company for over a decade. They came from Sportsman's Channel. So, uh, uh, and Santino Castellanos works out of Denver. He's also on our team. Kristen Brown is a programming coordinator who works with us. So we're kind of the front line working with all of the producers. And then Katie has, uh, has a team uh, by network that actually is organized to help on the technical side because, you know, you have the business side of television and then you also have all the technical elements of it where, you know, you have a team that's producing episodes, working with our technical team to make sure that everything comes in on time, on spec, all the uh, descriptions are there, all the, the business rules around our relationship are being you know maintained. Like we don't put competitive products, you know, in your show and like that. So there's a, there's a lot of moving parts to it. It's not just, just me. You have a great team that, that helps keep all of that in line. And then when you sit down and you turn on your TV and you see that final product, that that network, the graphics package, the music, the interlays, the transitions, the TV shows, the promotions, the episodic things, there's so much that goes into a network. And then you multiply that by three and you got an office that has three of these going. There's a There's got to be a lot of, of symbiotic um, of just – what am I trying to say? Just like a, a good chemistry between you and your team and the producers, because it's got to be a smooth transition. It's got to be our, our studios out here edit it and they get it to the network. The network takes it. There's some CC or closed captioning done on it. And then you guys are looking for things such as color correction. You're looking for audio correction. You're looking for audio that, you know, levels that are, you know, consistent because it's, it's really hard to watch a, a TV show with bad audio. So there's a lot of quality control is where I'm going with this, Mitch. Right. And, um, it's always, it's always seems to where, um, you could separate a TV show by that part of it to where, how does it look? How does it feel? How does it tell the story? How does it sound? Um, as, as your team's looking at this, are they, are they like sorting through saying, yeah, these guys got a, a good business model as far as when we get that product, it's ready to go. Or is there always just this team of people that are having to make all these improvements on all these different producer shows? I picture this room of just cutting and pasting. No. And how does that work? It's, it, I think we're, it is unique and i think we're all on both sides of the equation on the network side and on the independent producer side we're in this for for the most part continual um improvement mode where um i only become aware of technical issues when they when they reoccur so if we have a producer who's having challenges in delivering a show or doing certain things and then and, and our qc people flag it or there's there's just and there's like systematic problems with it we may get involved 
and we provide some consulting or advice or help or we have resources, are there things that we can do that can help? So over time, I think you've seen the quality of outdoor television improve substantially. And a lot of that is because the network has guidelines and we have expertise and we're, we offer that to independent producers. But there are other things that happen. You know, we have a lot of producers who watch a lot of major network television off, not, you know, outside of our genre. Uh, I'll hear, hear people talking about their influences uh, you know, from some high-end Discovery Channel shows or from, you know, so we, they're all influenced. And, and more often than not now, we have newer producers who are influenced by shows like The Fowl Life or Heartland Bowhunter or some of the other uh, innovators, or even we've talked about Kip Campbell, um, you know, who has a different style. Um, that's right. There's, there's, it's not one size fits all. Every show brings its own kind of uh, formula, format, different, um, 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 you know, different, different things that either connect or don't connect with the audience because your viewer there's going to be a crossover. Your viewer is the same as Kip Campbell's to a certain degree, but at one end there's, you know, Kip has uh, viewers that really only care about whitetail. And so they're just going to watch that. There's some that like his humor. And so they watch that. Whereas I think you have a, you have a broad audience um, that appeals to, you know, waterfall and beyond and, and music enthusiasts and, and others who just want this kind of to be part of this road warrior lifestyle that you lead. You have all these different styles of, producers of on-air personality you have kip campbell who is hilarious he's out of the box he's creative he's got a real um i don't like a real knack for putting together these little skits that make you laugh but they also get the point across because it's hard to watch another 15 second bumper another 10 second bumper saying hey your uh, your safety vest uh, needs to be tied to a tree and don't forget right that's been mm -hmm. said a million times right. but when he does it you're like, damn, that was clever. That was, that was witty. That was creative. Right. And I, that's what turns me on. That's what I'm passionate about is see people step out and, and whether it's the, their soundtrack or whether it's their, their, their transition from one scene to the next. And, and are, am I getting the feel of that camp and that location? And I think, you know, there are, there are favorites, but is it, is it hard for you not to play favorites on this being so passionate about the outdoors, living in the outdoors, hunting a lot of the season, fishing throughout the season and all, all these lakes that you have access to. Do you watch these shows and go, man, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I mean, or is it, or do you have to just sit there cut and dry and not let your emotions come into your job? Because for me, that would be tough. If, if you left outdoor channel and Jim Libertor said, Hey, Chad, we got a great idea. Why don't we replace Mitch with you? I'd be like, uh Oh, that, that would be hard for me because I would either be too critical or I would play favorites or I would just be a big fan of these guys and not so much these guys. Is, is it ever come into play? I think the short answer is no, I, I don't. Yes, I have shows that I personally enjoy as a, as a viewer, but I'm willing and able to take a look at a show that and have an opinion that is, okay, I like the show. Um, I look at the ratings. The ratings aren't doing great. Um, I'm not, you know, we have research that can tell me how the show is performing. I don't have to rely on my own personal opinion. Um, and then, um, I, but I would tell you the shows that I tend to like, I think are the shows that are driving the audience and enhancing the overall quality of the network and doing the right things. It's why I like them. And so, uh, do I play favorites? No, but I have I have a certain amount of, and it's a finite amount of inventory to work with. So I want to put those best shows in the best position to help the network succeed and help the producers succeed.
and when you talk about work working with producers to help them succeed and help the network there's been there's been producers that have been trailblazers in this industry that i feel that you know paved the way for people like myself or the michael hunsuckers or i'm not saying that michael hunsucker wasn't a trailblazer but he's a young he's young and he hasn't been on the network a real long time probably seven eight years now um, you have a lot of these producers that have been there, done that, whether they started with DVDs or whether they started as a cameraman, like Waddell was a cameraman for Realtree. And to this day, I consider Michael Waddell the best TV personality of all time, hands down. To me, there's not even a close second. And then you got guys like Jim Shockey that have a huge following that are just a badass hunter. They travel the world and mm-hmm. they, they just, they paint this picture and tell these stories of these remote locations that most people, in my opinion, will never, ever have the chance of visiting. So they live through Jim vicariously. Right. And then you have the Drury's that have the most, they have a creative team that has been around forever. They had some of the top DVD and VHS sales in history of hunting and just just the knowledge and the knowledge of, of the, right. the wallet, the knowledge and of whitetail and Turkey and land and, and, and food plotting and all of that. And the, in the, the, the growth cycle of a whitetail, when I watch 13, I'm like, damn, that's interesting how they break this down to be able to take each episode in 22 minutes and make you feel like you're becoming more knowledgeable about the species that you're actually pursuing. Right. Very important. Right. If you want to be a complete outdoorsman, right. that's strong. And then you have Lee and Tiffany. They got this whole little family unity with two kids now and living in Iowa. And, and, and he's a genius freaking deer grower, but he's really an engineer. And they met and they formed this relationship, this partnership. Now they're this cute little couple that absolutely kills the biggest deer in the country consistently. Mm-hmm. And you have this whole mix of people that you can go on to the outdoor channel and see it's somewhat reality TV. But to me, it's, it's more of a voyage. Like you can go from being in in Peru with Jim. And then all of a sudden you're in Booger Bottom, Georgia with Michael Waddell and right. Nick Mutt and T-Bone, which are the, probably the, those three have just unreal chemistry. And then you can go to Iowa and hang out at Lee and Tiffany's house and their camp for a little bit. Or you could go to, or, or you can go to Arkansas and be in the flooded timber with us or around a fire with Zach Brown or somebody playing the guitar. That's what's badass about the network. You can't find that anywhere else on TV. Right. If you go to discovery channel, you might have you might be building a race car on this one, but you're not really in that shop. You're not being, you're not being gravitated towards it. You're just like, man, I wonder if they're going to get this car done before the clock runs out. Right. And that's what is cool to me about what you guys have going on. And I hope that producers understand that if you, if you come to the outdoor channel and you say, Hey Mitch, or Hey Monty, what, what do we have to do to get on the network? I want to get into that question right now, because I feel there's some changes going on on how to get content out there. But I, I think that if you come with a good business plan and a good business model of being able to be engaging and captivating and bring that potential consumer or viewer into your world, I jump around from show to show because I'm engaged. Right. I want to know what Lee and Tiffany are doing. And I know that you can find that out on Instagram and see their pictures, but to be able to see Tiffany's mom in camp, babysitting the baby while she's out trying to run around the farm, checking trail cameras and chasing a big buck and getting a ground blind set up. And then Lee might be over here in the Yukon chasing a doll sheep or whatever. That's cool TV to me. Right. And I think that that's what people are missing is that this network is not just a bunch of killing or a bunch of rednecks running around. This is America. This is what we're doing on the back roads of this country every day. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about what you, so the examples you gave were some of the trailblazers and some of the biggest you know, and most successful stars on the network. And, and that relationship that we've built with them over the past decade is, is symbiotic. I mean, it's part of the reason Michael Waddell is who he is, is that he he has great character and talent and, and, and really, you know, has, 
as a unique product. He had the support of Realtree. He had the training of Realtree. He had the supporting of our, our support of our network because we saw that, hey, if Michael Waddell uh, is is successful, we can be successful. So we help promote him and, and do that. But we're 24 seven network as well. And so, you know, they're, they're only airing, you know, maybe, uh, well, they're airing 52 weeks a year, but uh, they're only airing for 30 minutes at a time, four or five times a week. And so our schedule is full of other shows that, you know, they might not have the star power that uh, Michael Waddell has, but you look at uh, Rick and Julie Cruder who have Beyond the Hunt, they're based in, in Nebraska. They have a very strong following. They have a strong business model. They have got great advertisers who support them, um, not because of their star power, but because of their credibility and their passion and what they, the stories that they bring to air and where they travel. So we have this platform that we've invested millions of dollars in, which is Outdoor Channel in your case. And, um, you know, we have relationships with all the carriers who, who you know, broadcast the network and we reach a very high quality enthusiast audience, people who love to hunt, shoot and fish. I mean, if you're looking for cooking programming, you don't come to Outdoor Channel necessarily. We do a little bit of it, but that's not what we're about. You turn it on because you want you want to watch outdoor channel programs and you are a pretty typical viewer because like I said, you're engaged in a lot of the different content. So yeah. And I'm engaged by a lot of the producers. And the reason I name the ones that I do is because when I was starting, I remember I wanted to get validation from Michael. I wanted somebody to say, Hey, we're on to something here or you're not. And it's hard to get validation from somebody in, in, in a market to where <clears throat> We, we might all be chasing that same sponsor. Sure. We might all be. So there's a lot of, a lot of people that are like, Oh, you know, like let's, let's, let's just not tell our secrets or industry secrets, right. or we're not going to say anything who we got relationships working or brew with. And I don't see that in a lot of the the people that I name. When I talk with Lee and Tiffany um, or Michael, they, they've, they were always real open about things and, and very easy to approach. And that's the right. other thing that I love about our space is that there are superstars here. You could go to a, a, a Waddell or a Shockey appearance or a Lee and Tiffany appearance in Pennsylvania <clears throat> and the lines a mile long to meet them. So that tells you that they are touching those emotional heartstrings of the viewer and they're getting those people to react. Those people are coming to stand in line to meet a deer hunter and buy a t-shirt and buy a book and do, and they're a deer hunter, right? They're not Tom Cruise. They haven't had training at Juilliard. They, they are creating this, this story in America that, Hey, we live off the land. Our family's engaged. Right. We're, 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 we're really getting down to the roots of why we're here. And that the network does such a good job at showing that and giving the, the, the producer the freedom to show that we don't have a cookie cutter program to where it says, you got to show this for three minutes and then you got to show a bird die. And then you got to show it. Be, right. It's there. It's you can, you can get really creative. And that's what I love about the space. And if people really break it down, it's more than just one hunting show after the next. Right. We provide the framework and we provide, we have guidelines because we have rules that we have to follow with our, with our affiliate partners and that, but yes, you have the creativity within that framework to deliver a product. And it's the onus is on you to deliver as a producer and a host to deliver a show that appeals to the audience. And our, our responsibility is to invest in the infrastructure and the networks and the brand and try to maximize the audience available to you. But what you do with it really depends on on your show. And, and it's hard to be consistent for a producer 13 weeks, 13 episodes, the high quality. So when you see the level of quality that our Sportsman Channel producers 
or WFN ones as well, but it's mostly sportsmen and outdoor channel producers operate on by and large week over week. It's pretty impressive. And that's the product of decades of of coaching and, you know, and, and some hard decisions that we've made and then some different difficult conversations because the, the nature of the model is you're soliciting sponsorship from an advertiser and you're using their funds to fund your operation. So you have an obligation to that advertiser to represent their brand on air, but viewers don't like being sold to. They don't, you talk about Kip Campbell being super creative and how that's, that's a model that he developed that works well for him. Uh, it wouldn't work the same way for you. If you started doing humorous skits like that, it's just not your style. So um, yeah, there's, you know, one is not necessarily better than another, but they, um, it, you know, each producer needs to develop their own style, their own following. And, and some have had more success than others for, there's no, there's no magic formula. I can't tell you to do X, Y, and Z, and you're going to have a successful hunting show. There's a lot of different things. And some of it, just like fishing, some of it's luck, some of it's timing. You know, Michael Waddell was in the right place at the right time and made some good decisions to put himself in a position to film for Realtree. They saw that character. They saw that talent. They elevated him. He did the right thing. You know, he just made some. But he very easily could have failed. He very easily could right. have dropped the ball, not being responsible. He it, took it and ran and, and built it into a, a the Michael Waddell empire of what it is today with Bone Collector and, and T-Bone and Nick and what they have going on, which, right. I mean, I, we, we've had several conversations of, uh, and I don't know if how, you know, if we have numbers to, to you know, prove this, but. What is the what is the average TV show last on an outdoor network? Is there is there numbers that produce this, or is there some? Do you guys sit behind closed doors and go, man, we can't believe this show's still on the air? Or uh, is it three years? Is it three seasons? Is it five seasons? Waddell's been on TV for twenty freaking years through road trips and right. and all the di- all the different shows he's hosted. Well, the, the the nature and uniqueness of our networks, I think, lends itself to more longevity than like a standard ABC, NBC, CBS, because they are, um, you know, first of all, the, the investment in their programming and their, they generally own their own programming. They're monitoring overnight ratings. And I mean, if a show doesn't, doesn't hit a certain standard, they're, they're looking, their accountants, their lawyers, they're all looking at it going, that show's done. We're not going to, we're not going to invest. We're not going to buy anymore. And that whole operation behind it moves on to the next big deal. Ours, um, you know, shows have have spent a lot of time and a lot of money being established. They have a lot of long term partnerships. So, uh, you know, and if you're a producer and you're signing a three three year ad deal, it, it lends itself to a little more stability. So, but yeah, you know, I, I I think it actually a little different answer to the question. I think it takes probably three years plus, maybe maybe three full seasons, so three and a half years to really establish a show because um sponsors don't generally clamor over first year shows because there's risk associated with that and they all have jobs so if i'm if i'm a buyer of sponsorship or advertising i'm not going to put all my eggs in a in a new show that um that i don't know how it's going to perform i don't know if it will even make it to air i don't know what's going on so the first year is is usually a pretty tough year because you have a lot of money to invest in the production and and the airtime cost to deliver it and then you um 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 
you, you don't, you're not going to have a lot of sponsored support. So then you have to start your second year. So now you're funding, you know, whether it's hunting or fishing, whatever it is, you're funding the operation and you're going out and gathering that content. And hopefully uh, based on your first year performance, your, your people are starting to see it and understand the potential. And so you generate more sponsor support. By the time you hit three, year three, your production your processes internally, the quality of your show is probably in a really good way. You've worked out a few hitches. You understand what works and what doesn't work with the team you have in place. And generally the market knows you're there. So if after year three, you're not positioned, I think, to springboard, it's a, it's a time to take a look at the business and say, okay, we're here. We're three years into it. We've spent X hundred thousands of dollars to get here. We've generated X thousands of dollars of revenue to cover this cost. What are we going to do? Are we going to take it to the next level and keep going? Are we going to chug on? And, you know, and so a lot of people have gotten to that point and been able to carry it on. And another thing to, to discuss is really how you define success, because you may define success differently than Lee and Tiffany. And Lee and Tiffany define it differently than uh, Rick and Julie Cruder or Nick Hoffman from Nick's Wild Ride or, you know, anybody. Um, some people operate it as a business. Some people operate it as a market expense. Some people operate it just as, uh, you know, they're going to be hunting anyways. And they want to share these experiences. So it's, you know, they're, they're not, you know, trying to build brands, but others are building brands around their shows and uh, we've worked with manufacturers like polaris and like fox pro and rocky who have all created shows to drive their own brands so it's it, it, it's a challenge for me to talk in in general terms about our producers and our industry and our business because there's 200 producers and there's a wide range of um you know we, we talk about ted nugent i mean ted has a show that's been on the air for 25 years ted's ted shtick is not about production values you know he's he has a strong following people watch his show because they like to see Ted in a tree in Texas or Michigan, maybe somewhere else, um, just doing what Ted does. They don't care about sliders and slow motion and whatever. They just, they're just, they, they get, they crack up when they hear Ted talking about, you know, how great and how perfect it is to be uh, doing what he does like 340 days a year. And not many people could get away with that. In my opinion, like Ted has that following built in from, you know, he's out there. He's a big voice of the NRA. He's a voice of the culture. He's right. a voice. He's a rock star. I mean, he's a bona fide rock star that, that had thousands and thousands sure. of fans, if not millions following his music career. So. And the market changed, right? So like, cause yeah, advertisers aren't going to flock to a new talent like that necessarily. I, I could be proven wrong too. Who knows? Somebody might show up tomorrow and have this new unique, uh, you but that's know. the question at hand right now is can a guy come into this space and sit you down at shot show and say, I want to build a TV show. I want to become the next TV star on the outdoor channel, outdoor TV. Absolutely. <clears throat> and it can, can be done. It can be done. And, and it is done. We are, we bring on new shows all the time, not maybe every quarter, but we bring on many new shows a year. We generally, um, you know, we, we rarely will bring a new show, uh, on air. Yeah, to outdoor channel it's been done but it's not uh not common partly because of the stability in our lineup on outdoor channel we don't have a lot of open space to do that uh sportsman's channel has more flexibility and it's a great proving ground the 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 barrier to entry is lower and we do have shows that will uh come to air on um, um sportsman channel and um and can build use that platform which is just a slightly smaller platform than outdoor channel and build a successful business around it so 
Absolutely. When we go to um, ICAST for the fishing trade show or archery trade show or shot show, uh, me and my team, we all take meetings with new producers who are looking to bring new concepts to air. And is it safe to say that outdoor TV is going away? Is that, is that, cause that's what I hear a lot. That people don't get their TV the same way. The outdoor channel won't be around much longer. The sportsman's channel is going to be gone. We're going to be on YouTube or we're going to be on this platform or we're going to carbon TV. Is it safe to say right now, as I sit across this table for you on this day of August, 2018, that the outdoor channel will probably be gone in the next 12 to 24 months? <laughs> no then why are people saying it, Mitch? Why is there this big misnomer that TV isn't strong anymore? If that TV doesn't work anymore, that TV, I don't watch TV. I don't need cable. I canceled my cable. Cause I got, I got this server and I can watch it. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I got a pretty good network of people and everybody that I run with has TV. Um, I'm not saying that all of them do, but I keep hearing why are you still on that network? What, what they're going away there? You know, it's too hard to, to people aren't paying the same sponsorship dollars that they were to five years ago because that audience isn't there because that audience has switched over to TV. What are you talking about? There's, right. you guys have some, some of the top advertisers in the country on the network consistently. I could go through a list right now that are some of the same network, some of the same advertisers that are buying ad space on the major three networks that you mentioned and Fox. Mm -hmm. So why is this being said in your opinion? And I know you hear it because you get asked by producers all the time, right? You know, Hey, what, what's the state of the industry? And I guess that's the right words right now. The state of the industry, right? I feel personally as a producer, as a business owner, as a guy that has some of the greatest talents in the industry on our team, as far as what our guys do in the office and the studio, as well as our partners and sponsors, as well as the brands that we own and, and market through the shows, I feel that it's never been stronger. And I might be um, naive by saying that, but personally, we're in a good spot, a good space. We feel good. We have a lot of positive energy going on right now with the market and what we're seeing. And I will honestly say that our relationship and our communication and our transparency with the networks and the leadership group has never been stronger. So why do I have to keep hearing TV has only got a, a shelf life of maybe two or three more years when a hundred million people watch the Super Bowl this year on TV? Right. I've never heard had someone tell me they think that. You know, outdoor TV is going to be gone in two years. Um, you know, we, we run a successful business. We're a profitable company. We're a for-profit for company. I mean, you, you hear about companies going out of business like Toys R Us when when they are hemorrhaging cash and not making money. We have a, a business that is doing okay. The, the market, so one of the reasons I think we hear it is there's certainly grumbling in the market and there's change, right? The technology is driving a lot of change. The, um, uh, the retail environment in the outdoor industry has changed. The political environment is changing. Um, you know, there are things we talk about. You, you can't show a picture of a fish fillet on your social media feed without having it be, uh, you know, um, censored or covered because it's offensive. It's like, it's food. It's our, it's our, so the whole market is shifting. Social media, I think amplifies the good and the bad. So um, you get a lot of people screaming TV is dead or things are happening like that loudly. It doesn't mean it's right. It's just loud. My answer when I say that we're not going away is based on my understanding of the industry, the research that I have in hand, and some of our analysis on the industry trends that are happening in viewing to in and the facts. Because you, you can just say, nobody cord cutting. Everybody's cutting cord. Nobody's cutting cord. The reality is, 19 million people have cut cords. That's a significant number. So there's some truth 
in in a lot of what people are shouting from the treetops but it's not doom and gloom it's not the end of everything ratings are down in television across the board for many networks but that doesn't mean they're going away it just means things are changing people are consuming content differently but our affiliate partners are investing billions of dollars in their technology and their products and their services to make sure that the platforms are relevant as are we, you know, we have my outdoor TV, we have other initiatives going on. We have uh, these networks are available on sling on direct TV now because people talk about cord cutting, but there's also cord returners. There's people, there's 9 million, 9 million, 9 million people have cut the cord because I, I was in the industry and I, I, it makes sense if I'm paying 200 bucks a month on take cable, I might look at a way to do it differently. And so I cut it and uh, I didn't personally, but it, if I did, you know, and then I, all of a sudden I'm buying ESPN, I'm buying my outdoor TV, I'm buying all these things to build the offerings that I want. And it's 140 bucks. It's like, and then I don't get everything that I need. It's, it's inconvenient. And also, you know, research shows when, when uh, young adults who don't necessarily have cable, when they have families and they, and their, their life changes, they, they come back. So there's still 98 million people who pay for television now. It's off from maybe 110 or 112 million from, you know, so it, we're back at levels that we were 10 years ago. That's a hundred. So you're saying that 19 million cut the cord and 9 million came back. Is that, did I read, did I hear yeah, you right? I can show I have some research to show you exactly because there's others that are expanding their commitment. My wife is one of them. We have Xfinity at home. She uses the Xfinity remote and she's actually getting better access to video on demand and shows that she wants to watch when she wants to watch them based on that. So like we've expanded our service with with Xfinity. So there's there's a portion of that. You know, it's let's say it's a million people that are expanding it. So it, it it's a moving target, it ebbs and flows. Um I also think, you know, when we compare Minnesota and the East and the West Coast, our industry is the same way. When when the economy is on fire, Minnesota's economy is decent. We're here in the heartland. When the economy is in the tank, Minnesota's down, but kind of okay. Our outdoor industry, I think, is a similar similar thing. When when the economy is on fire, the outdoor industry kind of is is pulled along with it. We don't drive the economy. We benefit from that. And when the economy is dragging, we kind of, you know, we're not, we're not, maybe not as down, we're down, but we're not as down as, you know, airlines or retail or some of these other big industries. And so what I've seen is major business, the major brands, Coca-Cola and, uh, you know, others and your friends at Jack Links and that they are on, um, they've gone through this transition where there's an allure to doing things digitally, which is important, but it's not an, it's not a complete seismic shift. You still need television and it's still a great way to reach a mass audience. So um, I think, you know, the state of the industry, what we're experiencing is, you know, it's contracting a little bit. There's been a lot of consolidation, a lot of companies buying up many brands and, you know, our independent producers used to be supported heavily by a lot of mom and pop brands. You know, you look at Hunter Safety Systems, Ozonics, uh, Block Targets, Rage Broadheads, all of these small brands used to sponsor dozens of shows independently. They've all been acquired by bigger, not all of them, but most of them have been acquired by bigger conglomerates. And they're not maintaining that spend necessarily. They're consolidating and they're cutting back. So now we have a couple hundred producers vying for that same dollar, which is smaller and it, and it's painful. So, and if I'm a producer who can't get sponsor support, 
I'm not probably going to say I couldn't get sponsor support because my product's mediocre and my talent isn't where it needs to be. I'm not a Michael Waddell and, and the market's not buying. It's going to be, you hear a lot of them saying more like, well, the network didn't promote me or they didn't like me or I didn't, you know, it's, you know, so, so there's some negativity that way. And, and the reality is we work very hard for every producer to provide them as many opportunities as we can for them to be successful. But um, in a market that's contracting, you know, not everybody's going to succeed. And, and one thing I will tell you is um, my boss and our ownership, my boss, Jim Libertor, recognized four or five years ago that this market was relatively stagnant. And so one of the early goals was to try to make the, try to grow our viewer base. You know, we have 35 million homes in outdoor channel. There's, uh, you know, how many hunters, 12 million hunters now they say in, in America. So we don't necessarily hit 100% of that 12 million, but there's also a whole secondary group of uh, people who are, um, we know enjoy outdoor adventure programming. They know they enjoy Deadliest Catch. They liked reality programming like Duck Dynasty who have these well-established brands. So that was part of our strategy was let's bring in some program because we, we can't afford to develop a concept and market it in a manner with enough money that would, would bring in enough viewership. So we take advantage of a brand like Deadliest Catch who has a following or Wicked Tuna, which is airing right now. And that brings in new people because the way they're finding it, they look in their guide, it's Wicked Tuna. They want to watch it. They go, it's on Outdoor Channel. And then we have uh, promotion and other things around it to say, Hey, you know, you're here on outdoor channel. Guess what? We also have the follow life. We have other things and we, we, we want to try to make them more aware of our networks. And have you proven here. to yourselves as a leadership group and management um, organization that this has worked? Yes. So, but, but so it, it has worked and we do, we have research to show. We can show you specifically. And we had some uh, um, interesting findings as well. Like when we aired doc dynasty, we're the first network um, to, to, um, run, uh, duck dynasty and syndication. It, it, we absolutely brought in new viewers. We brought in more female viewers than we anticipated, which is fine. Are those female viewers ever going to be an asset to watching a show like bone collector, or the foul life? Are they going to watch Willie and Phil Robertson on duck dynasty and then go watch bone collector and then go buy a Hoyt bow? Well, our, our are research they, are they activated that, as a customer. Uh, you know, I don't know what the conversion rate is, but there was potential. I mean, we, through our own research, we found this group that is the they're, they may have had a hunting experience or they have hunted or have fished or have shot a gun, but they might not be as active in it. So they are, uh, in terms of a mar like a, a potential market for us, they, they had that potential. I don't know. And at least they're know. on the network now is what you guys are saying. We right. got we, them to we the brought network. them in the building. We have a great product to show them when they get here, they may have come for duck dynasty. We hope they stay for Jim Shockey's uncharted or some of these so other it's shows. An education process like this through the, the leader, through the producers and a producer summit that it would be a message of, Hey, we are going to put some dollars and in investment into promoting shows that aren't the producers that are paying to play on this network. Because I see some roadblocks there. We are creating this show and then we're paying the network to air the show. And we're going to have some expectations of that network, putting eyeballs on our show through promotion of that show. But the network has the ideology that let's promote deadliest catch and wicked tuna and duck dynasty and John Wayne and Friday night Westerns. And then those customers are going to come over there and we're just praying that they stay on and watch the producer shows more than praying. I mean, we're, we're doing things in those shows to try to you know, keep them and get them to come back. See, research shows that viewers have 
like 10 to 13 channels that they watch. They may get 250, but I don't know how you watch TV, but uh, you know, I know a lot of folks, they turn on the TV, they flip to Fox News, they flip to Discovery Channel, they flip to Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, and they go to Spike, which is, I think, no longer a network. It's Paramount, right? And Paramount. so they don't, they don't generally, you don't surf the whole guide because it's too much. You have your networks that you know have programming that have appealed to you in the past. And if you flip over, and so it's easy. If you're a hunter, yes, you flip to the hunting channels. You know, you go and you don't necessarily, we know you don't watch appointed appointment viewing. You're not sort of showing up at the exact time every week to watch a certain show. Most of our viewers turn it on and they don't care as much what's on. They'll watch what's on and they DVR the shows they do like, or, you know, many of your best fans do know when your show debuts and they will be there to watch it religiously. But, you know, viewers are just like producers. There's a, a lot of different types of viewers. One thing um, producers don't have to deal with and understand is we have we have you as a customer, our producers, um, and, and a very important part of our business. But the distribution of our channels is another huge part part of our business. And so they ask similar questions to us that you do, but from a different perspective. Uh, what are you doing as a network to expand to attract new people? And so the affiliates love the fact that we are running Deadliest Catch, first run syndication of that, first run syndication of uh, Duck Dynasty, and first run of Wicked Tuna. And, and to a certain degree, the movies as well, they're okay with the movies to help us keep our ratings up. Uh, and that helps us maintain and hopefully expand the distribution, which 100% benefits you. If there's more eyeballs available to watch Outdoor Channel, you as an independent producer have a better chance of delivering more ratings. So we, I've said it to you before. I think we have, we have uh, many, uh, many masters in this uh, unique business, which is why I always invite producers out to Denver to see the operation that we have. Because when you see our technical operation, as a producer, you generally put you know all your all your passion and everything into that production, and you're watching every and analyzing every second of video that goes you know goes to air, and then you submit it to us electronically. And you don't see what happens after that. You know, it's not just, you know, we watch every second. We have a quality control team that makes sure that uh, technically that it's there, that it meets the, you know, conforms to the, the, to the format so that we can, you know, put the commercials in properly, but so that the audio levels are good, the color correction is good, uh, that it follows all the uh, ethical guidelines that we've established for our producers. And we do this uh, all day, every day for three networks. So it's quite a machine so that when we we plug it in and uplink it to a satellite and it goes out to all of our affiliates. We know it goes out that building with quality. So and you're, so you're telling me sitting across this table right now that your, your heart and soul is a company and management group at the outdoor sportsman's network is for the, is for the producer. You guys have the producer's best interest in mind because that is your main form of revenue and that's your bread and butter. And where I'm going with that is on the second part of that question, I want to know if we're your, if we're your bread and butter. And I want to know that our, that we're in your hearts every day that we're going to, the, to do our best to make this the home of the top outdoor television producers in second being on both sides of the table that you have been in the past as an independent producer mm -hmm. and now helping run the, this machine, this empire of outdoor television. 
would you be scared to do become an independent producer again in today's world um, and try to get on the outdoor channel or start with the sportsman channel and then be elevated to the outdoor channel or whatever your business model is? If somebody came to your booth and said, Mitch, I want to get into this deal right here. Would you be afraid to tell that kid or that girl, young lady, don't do it. It's a bad time. Or you yourself as an independent producer, would you jump right back in? Is this a good time to, to try to become a, 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 a hunting television producer and make a profit at it? Which you had two questions. Which yeah, one so do you the, fir- want first? the first yeah, one, which one you want to first. I want the first question first. I want to know is is because before you can tell that producer that yes, it's a good time or no, it's not. Right. I want to know if the network has it in their business that every day they're looking out for their producers. Like they're there. We're your main concern. I, I think the the answer is no. You're not our main concern. I think the answer is you are an equal concern on the other elements of our business, and we feel like what we are focused on in our core business is, is equally important to all of our revenue streams. So you are a huge portion of our, um, or a significant portion, you're probably a 30% portion of our, of our operation. You know, we run mag- we have magazine. In fact, it's probably less than 30%. So we do, we have television networks, we have app, we have uh, magazines and digital assets, websites and whatnot. We work with affiliates. We do ad sales for across all of our networks. So we think the way we're running this network, is benefiting is not a detriment to an independent producer, but we've determined on outdoor channel that that's not the best way to grow the network in its distribution. So that's, that's kind of the rub because as an independent producer, you want to be promoted you want to be uh, elevated. And we we're, we're trying to do that and we're going back to doing more of that, but that doesn't grow ratings. It only helps the independent producer in the, in their business, which is also important to us. So you'll see uh, right now in third and fourth quarter, uh, which we have, there's a lot of seasonality in our network. So we have dedicated a significant portion of our limited on-air inventory to promoting uh, endemic hunting hunting shows, essentially. So more so than we have previously. And we have a unique strategy in how we're doing that to try to spread that around. We're also watching the results. What is that doing? Is that going to help or is that going to help or hurt our ratings? I think in third and fourth quarter, when more people are watching outdoor television because they're participating in the outdoors, I think that promotion is going to help us. And which is great because then I think it will help me and and us in our endemic business get more support and resources for it. So the my answer to your question there is um this network is it, it's it has a broad base and a, and a broad foundation and the producer portion of it is is a a part of it that's strategic but it's not the only focus. But we think by doing this executing the strategy we have the rising tide raises all boats and you're in that. Boat. So that's the answer to the second question is that you would, you would educate. No, I've, got a, I've got a specific answer to the second question because uh, I have absolutely told people who have approached me about it, that, that they should not do it as we're in the business of building mutually beneficial relationships. You know, I have limited capacity. My team has limited capacity. I don't want to just bring somebody in just to bring them in. If I don't think that they've got, um, what it takes more so if they don't have, you know, if they don't have the knowledge or understanding that they need to be successful, I will tell them. And I think I said it recently as I also tell them, look, you gotta, you know, how are you funded? Because to, to, and I've, I've told them about, uh, you know, this three-year window, I said, you're going to need three to $500,000 to carry this going. 
that that helps them. So I might not say no, but I at least open their eyes to the significance. And 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 it's a challenging time to start a TV show. So, uh, you know, five, six, ten years ago, if you had uh, you know a camera and some guys, you could pull some things together and you could find places to air it. It's probably a good segue into conversation about free content as well. Um, you know. There are people that could, you can start something, they do it. You can start something and you can go on YouTube, you can do you know free content or do whatever. That doesn't guarantee you success. All it does is it means you don't have to pay for the distribution, but you also, you're not going to have that audience. When, when people watch The Foul Life and you turn it on, I mean, you have a built-in audience. You know when that show airs, it's going to have a strong audience. Whereas if you dump an episode up to a free platform or YouTube or what have you, Sure, over like 10 years, you might get 100 or 200,000. And there's, there's exceptions. There's some that have, have, have good traction. But most of what I've seen is people aren't you know, going to uh, YouTube to watch full episodes of a highly produced series. They're watching uh, some different, you know, watching clips and they're watching funny videos. And, you know, yeah, or, sure. or, or, you know, I, I use it myself. I, you know, I need to change a light bulb in my car. I go to YouTube and I find some guy kind enough who, you know, posted a video on how to change a, a, a taillight in my vehicle and the V in the video itself costs the guy nothing to produce. He just filmed himself doing it. It's got like, you know, 9,000 views in the last four years or whatever. Great. I don't know. I don't know what his business model is, but in your business model where you're charging, you know, premium dollar for your advertisers, they need to know that the product is going to be current. The product is going to be used and represented professionally. And, you know, and so there's value in what you bring. Well, I think that if I went to uh, a Benelli or a federal who we were with yesterday and, and you take the amount of money that they spend with us, which is significant, it's a lot of money. I don't see that happening on Google or Facebook or YouTube, where if I went to them and said, Hey, I want you to know that we're going to have our content. We're going to produce our show. Still, we're still going to have our social media, we're still going to have all the legs of this table underneath us, but we're not going to be on the outdoor channel anymore. I'd say 90% of them say, all right, then we're out. We're going to give you something, but we're no by, so by you're not going to pay premium. We're not going to pay premium. Here's why. Um, and Tom's Tom's <laughs> texted me because Tom went, my son, excuse me. We talk about this quite a bit. There's a lot of, of drawback by Facebook and YouTube and these different platforms of, we have a network right now that you can go onto our show and I could give you a demonstration on how to pattern a shotgun, how to call a duck, how to position your, your, your shotgun to kill that duck, how to send your dog after you were, after Brad Arrington trains your dog, how to cut that duck open with a sharp blade, breast it out and create a bounty and a, and a, and a cuisine experience for your friends and family. I can do all that on the outdoor channel and it's supported. And on top of the support of the network to allow us to do that, you guys are doing the back work, the back, you know, the leg work to go to these providers and, and get us on, you know, a bigger audience out there, get us into more households. And then on top of that, you have these other partners on the other side of the table that are saying, Hey, you're allowed to show our ammunition working. You're allowed to teach somebody about our gun. You're allowed to show somebody what our blade can do because of its sharpness. And it's, it's easy to use to, to fillet out a, a fish or a duck or, or right, a deer. Right. Okay. You can't get that right now anywhere else. You're not going to get the support of YouTube. You're going to get drawback as a matter of fact, in my, and I, I'm not saying that I know a hundred percent of the laws, but from what I've seen, 
um, even like on Instagram that's owned by Facebook, you put, they'll put a little disclaimer over a photo that says this photo is like what you're saying. This photo's uh, not tactful or not sensitive content, sensitive content. Really? Eating a fish is sensitive. Okay. Then go to, um, uh, a sushi restaurant and see what's going on every single day in America. Go to Whole Foods. Go to Whole Foods. <laughs> go see a lobster pulled out of a tank or go see right. uh, whatever it is. I don't want to get into the political part of it, but I feel that as a producer right now, if you don't have that entrepreneurial spirit or that business mind to say, Hey, the only way that we can profit on this business to make a good living and to provide jobs and, and, and uh, create enough revenue to support, you know, give salaries and 401k packages and insurance and all that stuff. I don't think you can do it just based on, and I'm not saying that there's not exceptions to the rule out there, right? but I think it would be very tough to run a hunting show or a hunting business just online with, with these, these platforms out there for free content. That's my right. opinion. I think it'd right. be very tough. Right. It, it is. It, it will make it hard. I'm not saying that TV is the only thing. I think most of our producers have evolved to the point where they are providing content because all the elements of your show that you just talked about, whether it's the cooking element, the cleaning of an animal, the whatever, the patterning of a shotgun, the training of a dog, a lot of that content could be good uh, on a free platform or on social media or used to help promote the show or help promote brands. But the, uh, the, the full-on episode, highly produced, high quality, that brings it all together is the foundation of that for most people. And yes, to go to a free platform, uh, you're not going to have the money to invest in the equipment in the travel um, to, to produce a product that an advertiser is going to be willing to pay a premium on. Um, I think the good news for advertisers is there are options to them now, other ways, whether it be through search engine optimization, which takes a lot of, but a lot of people would say, well, well, we're investing more in digital. It doesn't mean they're investing in digital series necessarily. They're, de they've, they're obligated now to spend money with Google and Amazon and Facebook. So they're doing Facebook advertising and all these other, uh, and generating content that's taking up or taking up uh, revenue for them. The, the bad news for advertisers is it does not at all replace television. And, and the example I used recently is Facebook um, had um, a, a data breach issue, right? You know, the uh, um, Analytica, whatever it was. So Facebook, what do they do to try to win back viewers? Because took, they took a huge hit in, you know, consumer confidence and users. They're spending a million dollars a day on television. You've seen the ads if you watch TV, Facebook saying, hey, come back. We've, we're concerned about your privacy and blah, blah, blah. We've done this, that, and the other thing. They're like the largest digital platform in the, in the universe. And they went to linear TV to deliver that message because it works. Same reason YouTube advertised and actually, I think, sponsored the Super Bowl last year. Oh, yeah, YouTube yeah. Red, they were the title sponsor of the Super Bowl. Plus other big events. Yeah. And, you know, and so big brands are coming back. I think the other thing to talk about is, is uh, risk and fraud. And you know, it's happened in our industry where if I'm a, if I'm a marketing manager for a brand um, and my, my CEO or my president or whoever doesn't, you know, they, they read the papers, they understand that technology is driving a lot of change in, in TV. They're not objecting when someone says, we're going to move more money to digital. They don't understand, but they say, okay, that's, that makes sense. But there's, there's risk with that too. There's no risk, very limited risk in television advertising that you know your ad where it's running, when it's running, you can verify it ran, you can see the numbers of viewers, Nielsen rated, Rentrack rated, Comscore rated, whatever that show you the actual eyeballs 
We provide you with the makeup of our audience so you know that it's a man who's 49 years old, who has $80,000 of disposable income, who has a college degree, who travels to hunt, shoot, and fish, who buys 392% more shotguns and ammunition than the general public. It's a high-quality viewer. Whereas if you have a Facebook video... Well, my Facebook video did 10,000 views. Well, guess what? On Facebook, if you watch it for three seconds, I think it is, it's a view. It's a view. doesn't mean they saw anything. And by the way, if I'm a producer and I have a beautiful woman holding up a catfish, what does that do for Benelli's brand? You know, like nothing, right? So there's, there's risk, I think, with, you know, you get enamored by the impressions. We need more impressions. We need this, that. The other thing is like, well, uh, there's a, you know, we deliver the highest quality audience, targeted audience, and the highest quality impressions for a brand. And that is undebatable, undisputed, and we can show you how that is. Now, that same person also uses YouTube, also uses Facebook. also. So you're, you're going to have some crossover. Of course, if I'm that guy watching Outdoor Channel, I'm also seeing some things you know, on another outlet. So that's the bad news. The advertisers, they, have to, they still have to be everywhere. We also, as a network, have to be everywhere, which is why we are. It's why we have My Outdoor TV. We have another initiative coming out. It's, uh, my sport, it's uh, MySportsman.tv. We have, uh, um, we're available on all of these OTT platforms, available on Roku now, coming out uh, with Amazon for MOTV. Um, that's the obligation is to be everywhere where people want it to be. So, and that goes back to your question. You know, we're not going away. We didn't invest the money in these in businesses to shut them down. Our businesses are, are, are streamlined and they're functioning and they do quite well. And we want to grow them. The, the market conditions are tough. There's headwinds in the market, but they're not, uh, they're not going to kill us right now. As far as the advertising goes in this space and, you know, hope, hopefully people, you know, take this for what it's worth. The way that I see advertising across the board in the outdoor space is so special um, compared to the history of of advertising that I've watched unfold since I became a TV viewer in the 80s, okay? Mm-hmm. You can live through, let's say, Hanes underwear. They tell a little bit of a story that Michael Jordan's comfortable on an airplane because he's wearing Hanes underwear. Um, Coca-Cola, they or Pepsi, they're they're comfortable or their their Pepsi's the best because Ray Charles has it on his piano when he's playing it. There ain't no story there. Right. Britney Spears dances better because she drinks Pepsi. There's no story there. But you remember all those. Gatorade, Gatorade is got a story throughout the years in college football and professional sports. And again, Michael Jordan. It worked. There was a way that that advertising worked. And now if you take it a step further, the way that we get to advertise. We don't just get to go up there and hold a Benelli out and go shoot a Benelli because it's the best. You know, it's not that Ricky Bobby, you better chew Big Red or F you. It's more get in the truck and ride with me. And watch it. Yeah, and watch this and live this lifestyle. It might not just be about killing that duck, but it might be that campfire or that dog or that army veteran that got to sit in that blind and, and, and get therapeutic just throughout that entire day of therapy of being out in the woods and letting mother nature sue the soul after what he experienced overseas. Right. And Benelli's all a part of that. The Benelli lifestyle, the federal lifestyle. This is the foul life. This life ain't for everybody. We get to advertise stories, Americana stories daily inside and out to where a 30 second commercial, if it can do it, well, imagine what this can do for, right. for, for an advertiser that really has a show. But that- even, even the commercials are where, so I, I know, you know, we are unique in our content, our content, the programming and that, um, 
we are, I don't remember specifically, I think Outdoor Channel was recently like ranked number three in all networks in terms of rad ad retention and Sportsman may have been five. So like they're both top, top 10 in uh, ad retention. So we, cause I've heard advertisers say, well, nobody watches commercials anymore. And they, and maybe they read a headline that said 40% people are delayed viewing. And, and, and so they think, okay, if I'm DVRing it, I'm not watching the commercial. Uh, and there was recently a show that uh, debuted a national network show that got more streaming views than it did on linear views, but our networks are unique where uh, we can measure delayed viewing. So uh, I think it's 8% on Sportsman's channel, 10%. So ratings will will bump within a week of airing. You'll have another 10% increase of ratings. So, um, so people will watch it. But uh, ad retention is so high on our networks. Our viewers will look at a Benelli commercial as part of the content of your show because they're so into it and they, they want to know they're hungry for knowledge. So they've watched your show. They see how it operates. Now tell me the finer details. Tell me about how, about the weight. you know, I don't want, I don't want the host just to like try to sell it to me. So our ad retention is very strong and advertising does uh, is very effective on the network because of that. So you would say that if you had a product, you would entrust an outdoor channel personality or show because the track record's there, the, the, the proofs of the pudding, the retention's there. You just said it like right. if they, if they go out of transition of a bumper into a commercial and they're still watching that Benelli commercial, cause they just saw this first eight minutes of a show talking about, you know, being in that right. lifestyle. Then after they watch that commercial, now they want more details. Now that's where they go to the retailer, the website, and they want more. So yeah, you asked me, I want to make sure I answer all your questions. If I, if, 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 you know, Today went really poorly and my boss called me and said, tomorrow you're no longer working here. I would absolutely consider doing a, a series on our network. I'd be smart about how we did it. We'd have a good business plan. We'd have a, a plan that included, you know, uh, the linear television, you know, and the investment necessary to gather the content, content uh, necessary and the right talent, the right host, all that together, get our partners all organized, have a social and digital strategy around it, have a brand strategy, have everything kind of ready to go. I would absolutely do it. And I would, if I moved into a hunting, shooting, fishing brand, I would buy um, advertising on these networks all day, so every day. You would day. do it, but you would tell a producer not to. No, I, I no, I, I would tell a producer not to if they didn't understand what they were getting into. But I, I, and if if I see a producer who's getting into it, and they go, we actually have um, like twelve criteria that we look at when we're evaluating a new opportunity, and one of them is the business model. You know, what's the business model? Is it just, uh, you know, is it, a, you know, someone who just wants to have somebody fund their lifestyle and they don't have the business savvy around it? Those are not people that we're going to recommend that they, you know, or, or that we're going to invest heavily in. But if somebody comes to us with a unique opportunity, in fact, a lot of times they'll come to us and they have, okay, we have um, this and that. And by, we're working with the Wentz brothers, um, Carson Wentz. And, and they have a great passion for hunting. Uh, uh, Carson Wentz has a great brand. Uh, they have a television show that they're working on, but they lacked a couple of elements. And so we're working with them to help round out some of that to try to bring a new show to market. It sounds to me like a workshop would be really cool for you to be, to put on through the Outdoor Sportsman's Channel where somebody like the Wentz brothers, or maybe not that caliber, but, you know, producers that want to get into the space or people that have 
interest or curiosity about this lifestyle, this business model, um, it might be worth, worth, you know, putting together a workshop, a three day deal to where somebody could come in and learn this kind of stuff, sure. because it's not about picking up a camera and filming a duck coming in and getting shot and putting it on air with some music over right. the top of it. Those days are or, gone. Or it might be on YouTube. I mean, if, YouTube, if all you want to sure. do is see, you know, turkeys get shot in the face and you don't care anything about whatever you can find a lot of that online more so than ever. Right. More but, so than right, ever. but if you want to understand how to be a better turkey hunter, and I know you find some of that online too, but if you want uh, Mark Drury to show you, you want Will Primos to show you, you want Michael Waddell, you want Philip Culpepper, who's young up and coming from Real Tree Outdoors, you want those guys to show you, you, you have to, you go to the right place. And, and I think it's like anything else. If you want, you know, you, you have options on where you get advice on, you know, car insurance on, uh, you know, on, on, on other things in your life. It's just, you know, where are you going to go? Go, you know, we provide a, a trusted base of knowledge and talent and, and entertainment. And when you sit across the table during something like this, do you, when you get challenged like that, you, you have good answers, you have good research, you have a good team behind you. You have a lot of intelligence when it comes to the space. Does it ever irritate you or piss you off to get challenged by a producer? Are there guys that just get under your skin because you've told them this until they're blue in the face and you can't do anything more and the responsibility is now on them? Because a big part of this business mm -hmm. is the business model and the busy business savviness of the producer and his or her team. There's right. a lot of responsibility that falls on that. This isn't right. just, hey, here's my content. Go air it and make me millionaire. Right. That's not how it works, right? I don't get mad. I, my biggest frustration is not having the capacity to do more. It, it's actually why we're doing this podcast. You know, we do a quarterly newsletter for our producers where we try to address some issues. We have a lot of different initiatives to get information out. And yeah, you have to make sure they read it. You have to make sure they understand it. We've done, uh, we'll do media kits for all of our producers around all the major trade shows, uh, ATA and SHOT Show and um, um, World Fishing Network or for, for ICAST. And those media kits are full of information that we're talking about that's accessible to me and also to all the producers about the market, about viewing trends but it's hard to make a host um possible so so i'm available my team are available to go with producers to major advertisers uh to help uh, articulate that you know because you, i can't expect that you're going to have that same same level of knowledge you have a lot of knowledge about it but uh, so my biggest frustration is just not having more time and and energy to create more content and also try to uh, change some of the perceptions in the market. Like I said, television's not dead. By the way, print's been dead for how long? It's like 15 years, right? But we have 17 magazines that are doing pretty well. It's changed. Everything's changed. A lot of things, you know. You got to adapt. You got to yeah, evolve. Always. That's, that's every, everything that's ever, you know, changed. And like, look at Toys R Us. Toys R Us did not evolve. Guess what? They're gone. Okay. But, um, you know, the newspapers, the internet had forced a lot of change and, and it was painful. You know, a lot of people lost jobs because the print industry could no longer fund that level of content. So it's, um, uh, I don't get angry about it. I just, you know, I want to be more of an evangelist on, um, we are unique. You can't uh, make a business decision based on an article you read in uh, the Wall Street Journal that says 40% of viewing is delayed and people aren't watching commercials. Because in the case of your series, 10% of it is delayed. And that doesn't mean that 10% is not watching the commercials because they do. And we have the research to show that. So when I'm, it, when, when I, I'm more frustrated when I get challenged by an advertiser who has some preconceived notions or, um, you know, 
really has their own agenda. That's probably the problem is you have a lot of advertisers and you have a lot of people in these marketing departments who are trying to cut their teeth and their knowledge base is on the digital side of things. And so they downplay the value of the linear side, but that's where we think when you show them the value of the content and the audience that you're delivering, you need both. And the best brands, including Vista, who we work with and others, they understand how, you know, how they need to invest in all of those platforms and how they can get synergy across all of those. I love the word synergy. And I would think that if somebody kind of broke down the structure of what we've before mentioned, um, talk to me a little bit about the ownership group. And I mean, if, if this was not a market, a, a, a profitable business, Somebody like Mr. Cronky would not be involved in it. He would not. Jim Libertor, who was very successful in 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 TV and network TV, was brought here to to build this into a, a more lucrative business, a stronger network, a stronger family of brands and mm-hmm. networks. Those guys aren't. They're not just sitting there saying, ah, you know, we're just going to write that off. That's not the, that's right. not the mentality. Mr. Cronky is a billionaire for a reason. Mr. Libertor is successful for a reason. They have you because you know what you're doing for a reason. The structure's there. Mm-hmm. This is a real live business with a set of offices with people working behind the scenes daily. And I, I want to make sure that we mention that again, Mitch, because a lot of the preconceived notions out there, in my opinion, are ah, just, you know, it's probably just this little tiny office out there that they got all these rednecks sending in video clips and they're putting them on the air. This is a big time business. Those networks exist in our sphere, but they're not ours, right? We have a a legitimate operation and, and, you know, we are fortunate because the the way the market is in the the industry is matured, the outdoor television industry. um, But we have been, and Mr. Kroenke has provided stability, you know, for the first time in many years, outdoor channel and sportsman's channel and the magazines and all that are not for sale. So when, and they've invested in the infrastructure and we've put a lot of money in to just streamlining that and providing a technical foundation to, to deliver, uh, you know, content and, you know, across all platforms. So there's some really cool things happening behind the scenes that will be rolling out later this year and into 2019, um, based on that stability that Mr. Cronkey provides. And, you know, Mr. Cronkey is, he he doesn't have to be in this space. He's got a lot of other successful businesses that he's operating that he could continue to, to, to run. So, uh, but he's committed and, uh, he's been committed, uh, um, for a long time. And, and, and I, I believe he will be as well. So, um, you know, it, it's, we're, we're fortunate to have that foundation to build on and, um, um, and we'll just continue to, to, to operate and to evolve. And I think, I think a big part of it, you know, as far as the emotional attachment, um, it's, it's not an easy business. It's not easy to produce a TV show. It's not easy to build a brand to, to have people, you know, watch your show, to get into it, to comment on it, to write in and critique it. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and to have that, that format that you guys provide, I think that's a big deal. And I think that people need to understand that it's another part of this, of, of, of our community that really cares about the outdoors and really cares about our second amendment rights and really cares about the, 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 the benefits that being in the outdoors provide for family and kids and women. And I think that being able to do it on the outdoor channel and having the support 
financially and the investment by the Kroenke family to bring in knowledgeable people in the, in the space like Jim Libertor, Mitch Petrie and Monty Daniels to have this team that is trustworthy to where it, 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 I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm the easiest producer to work with either. I try to get the best bang for our buck. I try to get the most promotion. I try to make sure that our show's elevated. We're just this little duck hunting show, but we want to be a good partner. I want to have a good relationship with you and in the right. whole structure. And I think that people need to understand that there's a lot of, of what you said, synergy in this organization right now to where we're confident that you can go onto these networks and find content that is going to make you proud to be an American proud, you know right. what I'm and proud to be a hunter. And I think that's a big part of it because there's a lot of people that are against this lifestyle, Mitch. There's a lot of people, especially in today's age in America right now, there's a lot of hate for hunting and a lot of hate for gun owners. And, but there's also the other side of it that it's cool to live off the land again. And it's, it's cool to have that mentality of growing your own garden or harvesting your own beef or grass fed beef. And I think that the outdoor channel is right there in the middle of it to show this lifestyle and showcase it and portray it in the right light. Am I, is that fair to say? Yeah. Is, that, is that how you feel? Yeah. And you know, one of the questions about whether I would you know, do a show or something on there, I would, but I, I, I would be more concerned if I had a show that was in the hunting space or the shooting space investing in a YouTube platform because they're already proving that unlike Mr. Cronky, they don't support our lifestyle and they have already started to pull back and they have significant constraints on what can and can't be exactly. advertised in our space. And so to bring it back to our company, we are committed to the core to, to preserve that. And I think that's where you'll see us moving forward, focusing also uh, resources on conservation and preservation of hunting rights and expansion of participation in the hunting. So, um, you know, it's, it's a fun place to be in. It's just a challenging time as the, you know, all of these, you know, it's a, a bit of a perfect storm of technology change and business challenges and whatnot. And it's, you just said committed to the core and I'm writing that down. Yeah. Because really that's the, that's the, the confidence that I'm trying to get out of you of it's, it's, is it, if it is a hard business, I'm not going to say that it's not, I'll say that again, but it's fun. It pays a lot of benefits to a lot of different people that we've got to meet as far as this lifestyle goes. And again, having the confidence in the ownership group that for once it's not for sale, the magazines are doing good. The networks are doing good. The MOTV, which is your app that you can go on and find producer content, uh, old run, reruns, old content, tips, tactics, uh, cooking segments. It's something to where somebody can pay a little bit of money a month and have it right at their fingertips. You're also coming out with other platforms that are going to keep evolving. And, and, you're, and what I love about it is that as soon as some of this stuff's announced, the producers are brought along to it because you guys rely on the the producers as a business partner too to help with this stuff because we have a voice we have an right. ability to get it out there and the messaging out there and you know talking to that 25 year old kid or i don't know if that's really a kid but out of college and he wants to get into the space cuz i get flooded with direct messages or emails to our website of hey i got this idea for a show or i'm going to start my own show or how did you get to where and and i try to tell them that it's not about being the best duck caller in the world or the best shot with a bow because there's a, I'm average at best with a duck call. There's a lot of people, a lot of kids that are 15 that can outwork me on a duck call. There's kids out there that are just as good as Michael Waddell with a bow or Jim Shockey with a muzzleloader. Mm -hmm. But it's, they have, they, those guys have the ability to go put themselves in a position to have this brand and this lifestyle that's promoted through the outdoor channel in these episodes. These, there's a lot of 
miss, I, I wanted you to touch on this because I've had a lot of people say, Hey man, I just won this duck calling contest and I want you to sponsor me and I'm working towards my own TV show. And I want to tell them, Hey, get the education, right. figure out what networking does, the art of negotiation. Um, and, and, and I try to teach them that you got to do these things in business. And I, life I advise, and, I advise a lot of, cause I get similar requests and a lot of the kids, you know, if, and I'm, I wish I had a focus on the outdoor industry when I was their age, because I'm 48. I'd, I'd probably be in a different position now, you know, in a, in a good position because I, I just didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Like a lot of these kids who, who do know. And I recommend that, you know, cause if they're young, they're in high school or they're in college or they're thinking what they want to do. I said, I, I suggest they go to work in retail in an outdoor store. I said, go to go to Cabela's, go to Dick's, go somewhere and work in the outdoor department and understand how people, you know, understand the products and understand how people buy them and understand how they are positioned, how they're put on the shelves, how they're purchased, how they're returned, what and, and how buying decisions are made locally. Uh, I wouldn't tell them to go out and hunt more, shoot more, fish more and film more and just build that, that whole brand. That's a tough road to hoe. There's probably an analogy. I don't know if I've worked it over that much in my head about, you know, I played baseball growing up. I wanted to be a pro baseball player, but, you know, and so you know, similar deal to, to be a producer and host at your level, it's the major leagues, right? I mean, you're, you are. And so what percentage of children who want to be major league baseball players make it to the big league? It's, it's infinitesimal and it's not unique to want to be a TV person, whether it's in hunt, shoot fish or not. And we all grow up. We all want to be a music star. We all want to be a TV star. We all want to be what have you. But uh, you've mentioned work a couple of times, by the way, I, you know, and, and this is not an easy business to be in. I don't know a lot of business and industries that are easy to be in. You know, there's certain things where you can maybe go and do a job for a few hours and turn it off and go home. Uh, that's obviously not this place. So, um, but you know that my advice when someone's looking at getting into you know into our industry is understand the economics of it and what drives the economics and then if your passion is videography or if you want to be an on-air person you know refine what that looks like um, but don't do it just based on a desire to you know be a, a, a insta famous TV uh, personality because that that's not unique. That doesn't get anybody excited. That doesn't get an advertiser excited. But if you went to an advertiser and said, "I'm doing this and I'm doing it in this location," and when I do this, I'll give you an example. There's a young guy who who has a, a pretty strong following on social media, and he does a fishing re, uh, a little fishing report. He reviews a piece of tackle. And every time he reviews a bait, it sells out at Tackle Warehouse. So guess what? Tackle Warehouse has his attention because he's moving the needle for him. He has their attention. Too. He has their, yeah, he has their attention. No, no, they, they, they're like, wow. Hey, hey. And, and by the way, other brands realize that, you know, we're actually in the building uh, in, you know, we're squatting in uh, Steve Panazza's conference room. Steve works, uh, has a show on our network called Lake Commandos and uh, has a major sponsorship with Pure Fishing and their brands, Berkeley, Abu Garcia uh, and others. And th they know when Steve pushes specific baits, it, it moves product. And so that Steve's built an amazing career on, on helping brands like Pure Fishing sell product, which is why they stay with him. The business business may ebb and flow. They, you know, their results vary year after year, but they've stayed with a guy like Steve because he helps them move the needle. 
not because um, they like to pay Steve to go fish with their product. Well, yeah, you got to move that needle. And I think that, again, back to what I was saying about this form of advertising, that I believe that advertisers in this space, like a Benelli or like the ones that Steve works with in the fishing space, they can see direct results because that needle is moving based upon that product comes out and all of a sudden the numbers are through the roof. A little bit has, it has to do with the reputation of that brand and the, in their products in the past. But when somebody can go on and live that lifestyle and see that the fun that's being had, not just that it's ripping lips, but Steve's out there having fun and he's showing them different ticks and tips and tactics that people entrust in him. So of course they're going to go, and be like Steve and buy the bait that Steve fishes with because it works. He would, he, it, it would almost be impossible for him to go out and go, I just caught all these fish without showing him catching the fish. But in, in more important than that, he's got the trust of his audience, right? They can trust in him. And that's what that sponsor is that partner, that advertiser is paying for. Really, and that's, what's cool yeah. to me. Think of, there's a lot of, you know, we go back to some of the talent you've mentioned, like the, in the specifically in the big game space, you know, deer and elk and, and moose and whatnot. Um, think of the brands that have built their brands on our networks back. There's many. You look at, you know, some of, um, well, Realtree. Realtree. Realtree existed, obviously, before our networks, but Realtree has established itself, and they used our network, and they used our talent to help grow their brand. Look at Thompson Center Arms. Thompson Center Arms, same. You look at... um, uh, Nikon, Nikon, uh, in the hunting space, uh, did quite a bit to help grow their brands. Rage Broadheads was a brand that was built on, um, by and large on our networks, our platforms, our magazines. We brought them that credibility. They tapped into our talent who also had that credibility and built these exciting brands. It's not the only place they did it, but by and large, you can go down the line. There are many brands that have done that and guess what also mitch is that because of the success of that form of advertising and the trust that can be developed i think that there's it's easier to gain trust if you're an enthusiast in the outdoors than it is i would rather buy a pair of nikes from michael jordan if i got to you know see him his lifestyle what he did and not just he was he was selling shoes based on him dunking from the half or the free throw line we get to tell this story consistently of this lifestyle to the point now to where, and I, and you're going to have to teach me this word, but I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. Hunters buy tires, hunters, hunters buy um, things that weren't, are, that aren't guns, that aren't right. fishing pools. They buy, they buy tractors, they buy tools, they buy sunglasses, they buy things that would. Some of them buy razor blades, not you, but uh, some of them. <laughs> well, do. now we're, Mr. Insult woke up. My beard, my beard looks freaking awesome, It is dude. pretty solid. It looks better than Zach Brown's, who we'll be with tonight. Uh, you, you'll compare him tonight. Mine turns, mine turns like Santa Claus white if it gets any not longer. Me, but I got a little, I got a little salt and pepper so, going on. But, uh, but what I'm saying is now you can go out as, and I don't want to, you know, say, hey, this is easy to do. But now if you have a brand and you have that audience that trusts you and you're driving a truck, well, now you can, you've opened up the doors to that kind of advertising. There's a different and, and, challenge that that's, <clears throat> it's, it's unfortunate. It's disappointing. I wish I had more time to um, fight it myself. Um, you know, we all buy toothpaste, right? We all, we were, so you would think that all of these brands that appeal to men would be engaged with our audience, our networks to reach this audience. Um, but the problem is they, there's other outlets for them, first of all. Um, and 
the buyers of advertising don't generally participate in our lifestyle because they're they're you know large agencies on the east coast by and large so you have a 25 year old buyer who's buying um media for these large brands who doesn't really pay attention to our networks because they don't understand it and they can get if all they're buying are impressions for advertising they can get them less expensive from other outlets. Whereas we know when we can convince somebody like, uh, so Arby's, we've got the meats campaign. Arby's came to us because they know when they were launching their venison uh, special that they were doing, they've done it for a few years. They know that our, con- our viewer was right in that target, highly, highly focused. So they scaled it down and they, you know, and they made a, a buy on our networks for that. I wish uh, all these other brands would, um, would get, um, you know, involved with our program. Crazy not to. They are, but their their businesses just aren't scaled down uh, to be as tactical as that would be because of the, the we have a smaller delivery than say an ESPN who who delivers uh, just a um, a bigger audience because they have wider distribution. So so that's what the buyer will say. They'll be like, well, I can I can reach men twenty five to fifty four by buying ESPN, and I can buy it. I can buy it more cost effectively in a bigger block than I could on your network. And then it's, it's even more compounded when you're an independent producer saying, because you don't actually sell advertising as I always advocate, you sell sponsorship because you can buy advertising cheaper, but I can't buy a Chad building endorsement. I can, I, as a network, I can't sell that. I can't, you know, have appearances. I can't get all the custom content. I can't get all of the, uh, the input you provide, you provide field reports for your sponsors who are developing product around what you and your team are experiencing in the field. That's very different very than different. just buying a 30 second commercial and running it 400 times in two weeks. Exactly. And I think that, <clears throat> obviously we're coming to the end of our, our time. I know you got to go. Um, I want to do this more because I think that there is a, a lot of information. Uh, I don't know if we really want to run a four hour podcast today based on the industry and where we're at with outdoor television. And I want to get into things about hunting and the audience and getting new hunters involved. Again, the format of this advertising and this lifestyle and, and the benefits it can bring and the memories that it can create and the bonds that it can tie even stronger. I think that that's another form of advertising to people that are on the fence about the lifestyle and getting into shooting or fishing or hunting. Mm-hmm. And eating off the land and butchering and processing meat, all that. So again, there's another responsibility with the Outdoor Channel and the Outdoor Sportsman's Group and the Cronky and Jim Libertors and Mitch Petries that now we have the ability to advertise to just a family of saying, hey, we're advertising this lifestyle now. Don't worry about buying the product. Let's see. Let's just get involved. Come to a camp. Bring your kid to a camp and let's get let's let him spread his wings a little bit. So I want to get into that because that's a big deal in our industry about getting the next generation and mm-hmm. the generation after that involved with video games and and social media and all these platforms of content and and it's harder and harder to get people into hunting. In my opinion, there's a lot of people that are city dwellers that really don't sure. understand the country. I'm not saying that it can't be done. We do it. We strive for it every day, but I want to get into that with you down the road. I want right. to get, I want to get in with, I want to get into where, what your opinion is on the, the difference between a Monday night block and a Thursday night block. And how do you position these and, and what studies and market groups and or focus groups and market studies are being done 
Why do you think I want to go on and watch a bunch of shooting shows on Monday night? Or why do you think I want to watch Michael Waddell on a Sunday night? How does all that work? How does a TV mind operate? I think it's interesting. It's captivating. And, and, but you, you know, you have a lot of other things going on in your life. Personally, you're hunting, you're fishing, you're working. You, I got to meet your wife. I thought out you were going to say I was loving every day. Oh, you, yeah. oh yeah. Well, Luke, Luke, don't go into that. <laughs> what we should do, uh, what, but wait, I, I want to come to Reno. Yeah, let's do it again. Let's do part two. <coughs> and, At Lake and, Tahoe. Yeah, and we'll do part two maybe after the first of the year. You go and have some other adventures in the fall. And we can go more specifically into some maybe of you'll things. join me on an adventure like yeah, that. and that because I, I I think it is important and and I and I wish we could do a four hour deal. I would I would power through four hours. I I, I don't know if a listener would power through for oh, four hours. Our voices are amazing. Um, you very, do very soothing. You have a face for this too. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I I I think that there's a group of men, say thirty five to fifty, who have had, and this is just. This is pure speculation. There's no nothing behind this. Men 35 to 55 who have had hunt, shoot, fish experiences in their lifetime who have gone away from it, who need to come back. We need you back. We need you back. And, you know, and, you? and by there, there's other things happening in the world, you know, in the world of real estate with uh, baby boomers, right? Because baby boomers bought in Minnesota, they bought all these cabins up north. Well, guess what? Their kids aren't really engaged now in there. The kids aren't really. And so there's going to be a glut of um, homes for sale in northern Minnesota because there's there's not buyers for all of those because the 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 generate there's been a generational shift. I think that's a, a, a demographic that we as hunters need to focus on bringing back because it's easier to bring someone who understood. They'll if you say, man, you remember. Remember when you caught that fish on the dock with your grandpa? Let's go do it again. And it's easier to bring him back to fish. But remember when you went on that, that one deer hunt and you just never did it again? You know, for one reason or another, you went away to college, you went and you got a job or do whatever. Come back to hunting and experience it. Because part of it is, and this is a debate that I have with folks about millennials and whether or not they're watching TV or they're not. Guess what? They are still watching TV. But I use my son as an example. He's 19. He participates in hunting and in fishing and, um, but he's not, he doesn't have a lot of disposable income. So he's not driving the economic engine of our sport. It's the parents that are doing that. You know, he spends a lot of mine and my wife's money on that and, and we're okay with that. So that's, I, I think we should be brainstorming as an industry. How do we, who do we focus on? There's a lot of discussion about women and, and absolutely there's more women participating in our sport, but they too are not really driving the economic engine because in the case of my wife, you know, she has camo on that, but I, I generally make the purchasing decisions on the outdoor equipment. It's not, uh, she's not. And I know there's women that do that, but I think by and large, that's, that's that demographic. But I do think there's a, 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 and I know that because in my circle of friends where I live on the West side of Minneapolis, I'm not surrounded by guys that hunt and fish like I do, but they all are, uh, they're, they're drawn in by the lifestyle that I live. I'm not shy about it. You know, I, I talk about it to anyone and everyone that I can. And these are people that when I take them out uh, and, and I love turkey hunting and I love bringing new people out on turkey hunts because it rocks their world when they, because it, it's a lot like goose, you know, you can call a turkey in and you can feel it. And, and that, and that excitement, it's like, I'd say turkey hunting is the perfect gateway drug. You want to introduce someone and get them hooked on hunting. Take them turkey hunting. Goose, yeah, it's, goose, war, it's warm. It's uh, it's warm. Goose hunting is similar to it. Goose, the goose goose hunting is a good gateway for that as well. You and I took a Cam Libertor on our first goose hunt, goose hunt, and and that was a great experience. A great way, you know, 
it's for us as seasoned hunters, it's not always just about the success. There's that, there's everything else positive that goes with it. But when you're bringing somebody new into it, you want to give them that success, which is really why I wanted uh, our guest yesterday to catch that muskie because he'd never caught a muskie before. And that for that to have been his first muskie would have been amazing. Yeah. Over the top. And I would have been as happy or happier than him that he caught it. It wasn't about me catching another muskie. I wanted to see him have that success. And I'm the same way with my kids. Well, look at what hunting. happened with Kim. I mean, when she, we, yeah. you mentioned her goose hunt, she was hooked. Right. She brought her to her. I mean, she was crying. Right. The emotional connection she had with those geese and that calling in that field. And, right. but go ahead, go with your oh, kids. And, 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 and with Kim, it went to the table too. I mean, it was, it, we her. went full circle. Right. And, and there's so many people. That's why I was, I was so annoyed seeing uh, um, an image of a filleted fish. It wasn't, there wasn't blood and guts. It was, it was, it looked like, uh, Emerald Lagasse laid a fish on a cutting board and it was covered on a social media outlet as being sensitive. And I was like, come on, this is, this is where our food comes from. And it's like, what are, where are we going to that? I get more annoyed with that than anything else. And so, but I, there's a lot, I want to get, I want to have some more discussions because I'm captivated by it. I'm intrigued by it. I appreciate what you guys do. I'm humbled to be part of the network and I love what you guys do. And I also, you know, appreciate you bringing us out here and putting on the show that you did yesterday and today with the boats and the fishing and the muskies and the bass. And I want to catch some walleye. I want to have a fish fry. Your wife is amazing. She's, we, I've been with her the last two nights. She's fun to hang out with. And that's what this sport does. It opens up so many doors and you get to know people on such an intricate level level because of what the outdoors give to us and then on top of that i got to have um dinner with the the potential world champion chicken wing eater Aaron. and <laughs> yeah, Aaron is the Aaron. man he's awesome and, and tell me a little he just experienced something in life that that you you brag about and i saw the medal mm-hmm. i saw the video it was touching as hell All and right. and to know that he's getting to do that he was up in seattle tell me a little bit about that yeah we had dinner uh, my son aaron joined us and aaron um he's uh, has some special needs and is in special olympics and uh, his basketball team, the program is unified program. So there's five, uh, five typical high schoolers are paired with five kids with special needs and they compete in basketball and other sports. So our school, uh, Orono High School, is pretty unique. Uh, Steve Panaz is hosting us here today. His son was also on the basketball team, his son, Pierce. So they were selected to represent Minnesota in the USA games in Seattle this past summer. So we did a big family vacation. We were there over the 4th of July. 4,000 athletes, uh, 12,000 volunteers in Seattle came together. And it was a really big deal. ESPN aired the opening ceremonies. Uh, ABC aired the opening ceremonies. Charlie Puth sang at it and others. But just for our son to have that experience and compete and have that opportunity to succeed. And they and they went over the top. I and mean, the kids were given uniforms and given Air Jordans and duffel bags and flown out, uh, you know, with a lot of fanfare, uh, competed. And when you watch these kids compete, you know, because you have kids and you see, you know, it, it, what I like to say is Special Olympics and some of the sports uh, for, for disabled individuals really bring out the best in competitive sports um, because, you know, the expectations are, are different and it's really just providing an opportunity for these kids to succeed. So I think they had like 10, 10 games. Uh, they get seated into a bracket. They took second place in their bracket. So they were awarded silver medals. And, um, and it was just fun. It was, and they, they had an absolute blast. Our families were all moved by it and just had a great time. Uh, and then on the way home, um, they, they landed and they got into our community here, Long Lake, 
and um, there was a um, um, parade. So no way. Uh, law enforcement and uh, fire trucks uh, led the way, and and they came and had a hero's welcome. So it was really cool. And thanks, thanks for letting me talk about that because it is, it is so cool. And Aaron loves to hunt too, and he loves to. Uh, he and I, we've duck and goose hunted together. Uh, he's shot turkeys before, and last year uh, I took him to Michigan and he shot his first deer. He shot a ten point buck with a crossbow. Wow. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, what people, when I, I use that trip last year as an example of people who don't understand the hunting, I said, like, we drove, you know, 10 hours to get there. I said, like, when you have 10 hours uh, with your son one on one in a vehicle, I mean, that's as much about what the hunting is as it is the harvest. So, um, had a great time with Aaron hunting. And, and he's got the personality where he's just, he's live wire and I love it. So he, he wins the silver medal. He showed us his medal last night. He's competing in, in, in competitive um, sports through the special Olympics. He's hunting, he's fishing. He has a dad that has the heart of the hunter and his mom that is supporting. He has brothers. He has this, he's got a, a great foundation. And to see it was, you know, I'm, I, I haven't been around somebody like Aaron in probably eight years. So it was like refreshing to me to be able to sit across the table and see his enthusiasm for life and his and just wanting to talk to people and and just a great kid so the you know kudos to the special olympics and what they do kudos to the community for welcoming them back with open arms and and celebrating it with them because in reality you know the chances of them getting to do that on larger scales for the rest of their life like it is to you know a a regular basketball team they're they're not as they're not as plentiful they're not there And, and so to get for them to experience that or a 10 point buck and some fish. I mean, that's, it's everything. So yeah. Mitch, I appreciate you. Um, I, we've covered a lot. Like Howard Stern says, we, 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 you've said it all, <laughs> you've said it all, but I, I think that we're onto something here. I think we need to do it again. Please tell Mr. Cronky and Jim and Liber- and, and the Libertor family with his wife, Kim, thank you. Tell Monty hello. Um, tell the whole organization that we appreciate what they're bringing to the table. We want to be a good partner. We want to be beneficial to you. We want to provide good content and and a good relationship to where we can tap into each other's networks and and just and, and build this because I think it's important. I think it's I, a great I lifestyle. I want, I, want to, I want to leave an invitation for your listeners because – my experience has been I participate in something like this and, you know, you get a few keyboard warriors who have opinions and uh, I would say, you know, reach out, whether it's via email, mptree at outdoorchannel.com or via your channels. If you have questions and want to legitimately talk about not just putting a new show on, but talk about our business. And if you have ideas on how to make our business better or that could influence it, we want to talk about it. I don't want to just uh, be reading through social media comments of, you know, people throwing rocks from the outside. Let's talk about it because it's a, it's a dialogue. It's a good dialogue to have. And I I appreciate the opportunity to to share it. So thank you very much for coming in. Um, uh, It's been a good time. I think it has. And I think that um, it's interesting. And I think that there's a lot to be said still in it. I got a lot more questions. I really mean that. I got a lot of, I have a newfound motivation that I want, I want to go back and I want to digest and, 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 and really learn more about this industry because it's not easy, but if you learn what's going on behind the scenes and the team that we have and the opportunities that are being provided and presented to us, I love it. And I'm excited and I want to do some more. So let's do it again. Tom's going to play us out with a song that we do on all of our podcasts. What you going to do when the money's all gone by my good friend, Leith Lofton in Nashville. 
Nashville who we're flying to to see play tomorrow night um, down on Broadway. Excited about that. Excited to be at the Zach Brown concert with you tonight at Target Field in downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. Zach's a good friend of ours. He supports the outdoors, the shooting sports, hunting, fishing. He's actually leaving Monday morning at 9 Eastern to fly to his new house in Alaska and get after the fish and start the hunting season up there. So kudos to somebody that has a voice like Zach Brown to support our lifestyle. And um, again, new episodes of The Foul Life airing right now, season 10, which we're very proud of on the Outdoor Channel. Check out Mo TV, download the app, get our content, get other producers' content, support this lifestyle. And um, I'm excited to be a part of it. I'm humbled to be a part of it. Tom, like I said, a little Leith Lofton when the money's all gone. Mitch Petrie, thank you very much. We'll do this again. See you on the flip side. Thanks, Chad.